Welcome to North Shore News Week. Shore, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of North Shore Newsweek. I'm Joe Coglin, and I'm here with my fellow co-founder, Martin Carlino, um, and we uh, operate the recordnorthshore.org, your neighborhood news site. Um, we're traveling a little light today without our managing editor, Megan Bernard, but hopefully we'll we'll get along just fine, um, <laughs> though we do miss her. Um, we're kicking so, it old school today, guys, back yeah, to the, uh, back the, the two-person booth. <laughs> the original two, but... Uh, we, uh, this podcast, uh, its its purpose is to, to give you a summary of the news of the week in your community, um, break it down in simple, digestible format here, audio-wise, and uh, we do so in three segments. We do a lead story, then we go up and down the shore, uh, touching on every community that we cover, and then we uh, wrap things up with a featured feature before sending you on your way for the day. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in again. We're going to jump right in with our lead story, which happened actually yesterday at the Nutrier Northfield campus where kind of months of momentum and pushing from local leaders, including all our communities working together um, in concert to get this up and running, a vaccine site open from the county health department under a brand new program in which paramedics are the ones administering the vaccines. Um, officials said yesterday, it's the first of its kind um, in Illinois and anywhere they know, and they really hope to push it out to wider audiences, whether that's in the state or even in the country. They have, they have high aspirations for this. Um, and it's pretty simple that it involves trained paramedics. They're already trained to give vaccines and other medical procedures. And it just basically, you know, for better, better term, authorizes them to do so, um, which they're not. Um, so it needed some state red tape, but it got going. And yesterday they um, inoculated new numbers, 571 um, um, essential workers, which included educators, uh, village workers, and police officers, kind of in the majority of the police officers and educators. All, uh, from all the township and from all of the northern suburbs, they came from all over to get inoculated yesterday. Um, good and bad news from that are, I guess, good and, and you know, with nuance. Um, 571 people received the first dose of the COVID vaccine, but that's all they have for right now. So that was what they were allowed to um, approve for at the site. And um, moving forward, they believe in about two weeks, maybe longer, they'll have another dose. And as we know, or as we've heard from the governor um, and local officials, that vaccine supply is supposedly increasing day by day. But Marty, is, this is um, generally kind of, it's good news, but really it feels like the start of something. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. And just to, uh, to, to give our listeners a bit of a, a history on this, it's, uh, it's really great to see this come to fruition because as we've discussed um, on this podcast and both reported on our website, this idea has been in the works for months. And we first reported about the possibility of the Northfield campus being used as a vaccination center um, in early December, I believe, almost uh, a, a few weeks after the vaccine first became available to um, the first phase in the, in the state's rollout plan. So Nutrier has always had an interest in making this idea come to fruition. And the district sort of has a, a history in, in being used as a, uh, a vaccine distribution center in previous uh, medical emergencies. So it fits in with the, uh, with the district's history of, of helping out in, in 
situations like this that have that have happened beforehand. So it's uh, it's really great to see it uh, to see it come through because it was once just an idea, and in the very early stages, it was an idea that officials weren't sure weren't sure was ever going to happen. Um, when it first got introduced at the uh, board of education meeting, I remember. Uh, district officials sort of just mentioned, you know, hey, this is a possibility. We have interest in it. You know, maybe the county will uh, will have some shared interest, in and maybe if all things work out, it'll it'll come to um, it'll come into existence. So to see it actually um, begin yesterday and, and and move forward now and sort of lay out a model that other communities might follow, it's it's exciting because, as you mentioned, Joe, this is really what we need to to start putting this pandemic behind us. We need facilities like this where, um, you know, large numbers of vaccinations can take place in quick amounts of time. And hopefully as the uh, supply doses of these vaccines increase, hopefully more and more of models very similar to this can be put into place and we can start getting, um, we can start getting these vaccines into arms as quickly as possible because that's what we're, that's what we're going to need to, uh, to put this very dark chapter um, in this pandemic behind us. Yeah, and, and officials all during the day yesterday kept calling the site a blueprint, a template, you know, um, something that can be mimicked um, in other places because we do have, we just need um, to remove the red tape for these paramedics to do it and they are certainly capable and trained to. So um, it does seem like something, you know, some small notes from the story. Um, possibility of in-home visits with paramedics as well. These are yeah, down the road. I thought with, that was a really interesting takeaway as well. Um, obviously this, uh, this virus greatly affects um, those who are a little bit older. So many of those um, residents aren't able to always get to these vaccine centers because of, you know, several complications. So the possibility of uh, a paramedic, a trained paramedic coming into someone's home and delivering these shots could be a game changer. Yeah, that plus, you know, um, senior citizens as well as um, those who are disabled and, uh, you know, maybe a combination therein is, um, are some of the more at risk. So that's huge. Um, that's going to need to come once we move through phases and once we get more supply, according to officials. Um, possibility of more sites like this, as well as large vaccine. This is not technically a mass vaccination site. It's not as big as you think in, in the Nutria gym. So possibility of other, another site, according to Commissioner Scott Britton, in the northern suburbs for the public eventually this spring. And uh, one in Hoffman Estates is actually pretty close to uh, getting the approval and the go-ahead. So um, a couple of those coming down the pike too. Um, so things to keep an eye on, lots to keep an eye on. We'll do our best to keep you updated. We have on this story, this is probably, we probably had four stories that this was coming, <laughs> including from the village manager's perspective, as well from Mabus perspective, um, leading up to this. So you should always donate and contribute and subscribe to therecordnorthshore.org for your latest news on this stuff. Um, and we do our best to keep you informed. This is a very important issue on public safety. Absolutely. Always free. And some, some possibility maybe in the, in the future, we don't know the specifics related to this, Joe, but some possibility maybe in the future for some public use. Yeah, they, they hope so. They really do. And I think that's the obvious next step we're talking here. Once we move through phase one B, and move into other essential workers in 1C, that's a larger swath of people. Um, and they're gonna need a site like this and more sites like this once, because as we move through phases and even into phase two, we're talking exponentially amount of people that are gonna need to get the vaccine and, and are going to be trying to actively. 
Yeah, and we got some very encouraging news from the uh, from the governor's office this week that the supply dosage allocated to the state is going to nearly double in the near future. So very exciting news. Um, hopefully, this is the, the step in the right direction we need. And you know that that light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, is maybe looking a little bit brighter now than ever before. Yeah, we'll keep you stay tuned. So from 60,000 doses to 100,000 doses a day are going to be administered in the state, says J.B. Pritzker. So we'll let you know if we find out how much of those going to trickle down to the northern suburbs and to your community um, as soon as we know. So keep stay tuned. But that's our lead story. It's a big one. Check it out. A lot of details there um, on the uh, and you get to see some photos of what the facility looks like um, at uh, the recordnorthshore.org. Moving on to segment two, up and down the shore. Guys, we had so much this week, so we get to touch on every one of our communities. Um, we're excited about it, um, and uh, we're going to stick with Nutrier, but the school this time uh, as we as we talk about Glencoe. Yeah, really jam-packed week. We'll kick things off with a uh, discussion that's been going on now for um, more intensely for a couple of months, but even before um, the pandemic, this, this has been a discussion that school officials are considering. And that discussion is altering the altering Nutria high school's bell schedule. So currently, and, um, for the past, um, several years, even decades, Nutria has followed a nine period bell schedule. Um, it's looking more and more likely that there's going to be a change in that next year to what officials are describing as a eight period rotating, um, block schedule. So essentially what that means is 80 minute courses for students every other day as compared to 40 minute daily courses. And the reason for this shift, uh, there, there are several reasons that officials have, uh, have stated they are looking to, uh, to move forward with this shift. But the main, one of the main reasons is an attempt to try to moderate the pace of the day and alleviate some student, student stress. So with that current schedule of having classes every single day, it creates situations, you know, where students are preparing homework for classes every single day, whereas now they might be preparing the home under the changed proposed schedule, they would be pre preparing homework for that given class every other day. So it would sort of be an opportunity to alleviate some student stress and provide a, a bit of a more moderated pace to the day. Nothing official yet, but there is a recommendation from the administration to move forward with that eight period rotating block and we'll likely get some more updates at the board's March meeting. So keep your eye on that. Could be a, a change in the bell schedule for Nutria after, uh, after decades of abiding by that nine period um, daily schedule. And that's um, Glencoe, but it also affects uh, the rest of the community as well. But we're going to take a, a skip down to one of those communities in Winneka, where we're still talking about historic homes. Yeah, we were we were joking before the episode that one of my beats in the uh, in our coverage area is the historic home beat because we've gotten a ton of news out of that recently. And uh, Winneka's Village Council last week held a uh, a pretty significant deliberation related to um, strengthening measures. Uh, regarding the preservation of historic homes within the village. So trustees uh, had some had some deliberations at their meeting last week. And the takeaway from that is they're looking to move forward with um, increasing a demolition delay period of up to 270 days. So right now the village's demo demolition delay period is 60 days and the Landmark Preservation Commission can issue that 60 day delay currently to a property. So a homeowner would have to wait um, 60 days 
before they were able to demolish a home that was deemed historically and architecturally significant. But under these new proposed measures, that period would increase to 270 days. So pretty significant increase. There are also some uh, measures being considered to offer some incentives to property owners to preserve homes. One of those incentives would be a proposed 20% increase in the total gross floor area of a home. So if, uh, if someone were to purchase a historic home and preserve it, they would be eligible to apply for that 20% uh, bonus. So um, these are not official yet as well, but as I mentioned, looking very likely that they will be. So the board is slated, I believe, to consider this again at their next meeting, which is in the first week of March. So keep an eye out for that as it could become uh, official very soon here. And that's when I could thanks Marty for that reporting very thorough stuff. Um, you guys should check out the, the series on historic homes and, we, <laughs> and we're gonna have more coming in the future too. But um, skipping over the other way, cross the Edens or on the Edens here in Northfield, actually, um, we had a shooting on the expressway, some breaking news a few days ago. Um, fortunately, we'll start off by saying no one was seriously injured, even though four people were in a, a sedan that was uh, hit with gunshots, uh, multiple gunshots um, from a passing vehicle, official said. Um, the, um, the Illinois State Police said in a press release that it was a passing car um, and the, the, the shrapnel, uh, the debris from one of the gunshots um, did hit a 16 year old and she was, I'm sorry, I, I don't know if it's a he or she, the individual was um, injured, but was okay, was not hospitalized, was treated on the scene and was just fine and, and let go. Um, but, uh, you know, that's been a, we kind of all know that, that the shootings on the Swestway have, have seen a, a bit of a spike in the past few years. There was actually another one that same night on the Eisenhower. Um, and there was one um, yesterday, I believe, on the Stevenson. So um, not saying at all that they're related, but these are um, happening and occurring um, in the Chicagoland area. So this one happened on the Edens. It is unclear if it was an isolated incident or if, um, or if it was uh, a random. So we're gonna follow up for you on that and check it out. Um, but it did happen right at Tower Road and the Edens um, and they pulled over in Skokie on Old Orchard where police responded. So um, right in our neck of the woods. So that is in Northfield, we'll, we'll uh, update it when is we hear back from the Illinois State Police. Going back the other way toward the lake, uh, back to Kenilworth where um, some more law enforcement news, but maybe something coming down the pike in uh, this, the village of Kenilworth. So Kenilworth had in their budget, um, has a line item. Um, it's really just a placeholder for license plate scanners. Um, and these license plate scanners, are the technology has been around for about a decade. Um, but what they do, uh, it's got, it's grown in popularity recently. And, and some surrounding towns such as Highland Park and Skokie utilize license plate readers in some capacity. Uh, but what they do is basically any car that passes, they're able to grab an image of the license plate. It's able to run it against some databases real quick and send an alert if that car is used, has been used in a crime or has it basically any law enforcement affiliation at all um, has been stolen, anything like that. So um, it can send, can send an alert basically wherever you want it, but directly to police officers is the usual protocol. Um, and uh, Sheriff uh, David Miller, I'm sorry, not the Sheriff, the Chief David Miller there in Kenilworth um, is gonna make a proposal to the village board um, within the next month or so, um, hoping to get these approved. Um, the line item is $35,000, so uh, the fee, um, the rate isn't expensive, but the controversy in these scanners comes from 
how the technology is used and how the information gathered from the technology is used more than a lot of people are concerned uh, the big brother factor where's this information going is it used properly to which channels we have some there was a report that we quoted in there that you guys can read in this story about how um, other suburban um, districts uh, police police departments use basically they send that information out that they gather to districts around the country and, and departments across the country. Um, and some do it very deliberately, some do it more, well, here's all the info. And a lot of people are concerned how that info is then being used. So that is where the controversy lies, or I guess where the contention does, and um, it's not approved. It's not, it hasn't even been officially proposed, but it is a line item in the budget. So they are preparing for that cost if it were to happen, but stay tuned. Um, to the Kenilworth Village government, if that's something that you're concerned about. And uh, we'll update you as soon as it gets to that point. And that's Kenilworth. And we go down to our last community, um, our, our southernmost, and that is Wilmette, uh, and also our largest, Wilmette, Illinois. And there, we had a bit of surprising news, I think, for a lot of people, in that Father uh, Pat McGrath at Loyola Academy had announced he is stepping down from his position after next school year, after the 2021-22 school year, which will be his 13th with Loyola Academy. Um, doesn't seem like a huge number in the grand scheme of things, but he pointed out that the Jesuit mission is really to to travel and not stay in one place too long and spread the mission and spread the service uh, to other communities. So that is something he is looking forward to. And he believes that it is um, time and Loyal Academy is in a good place there. He really wanted to finish um, one project he, he repeated was the um, Performing Arts Center, a massive project addition that's, uh, or I guess, renovation that's going on the northern side of the campus um, that uh, I believe everybody Reported believes. first by the record North Shore, if I might Re add. Reported first by the record and um, Martin Carlino. Um, <laughs> but it is a huge facility um, and it's a, it was a huge fundraising venture. And um, McGrath um, said that he really believes it's going to change the lives of a lot of individuals and the um, arts um, division there at Loyola Academy. So he, that is basically completed the fundraising of it and, and construction begins really soon. So um, he's going to see that through and then um, um, he'll walk away and he's going to get a lot of praise, I believe, from everything we've heard from a lot of his um, peers and colleagues. So um, yeah, and they, uh, a really interesting approach to, to leadership, Joe, and one that uh, that's quite admirable. Um, for our for our sports fans out there, sort of the uh, the Theo Epstein model of thinking, where uh, you know ten to twelve years in a given place, you uh, you devote sort of everything you have to it, and then you have a chance to to try to get new voices in and new leadership in to uh, to to keep the train moving and keep new ideas flowing and and keep that leadership um, cycle as fresh as possible. So uh, so really really admirable words from Father McGrath. Yeah, I, I urge you guys to check it out and just to see, and we'll have more. Uh, I'm sure as his um, tenure comes to a close there next school year, uh, but he doesn't know where he's going to go yet. You know, anything within the, within the Jesuit um, province of the Midwest, he believes, but that could be with higher education. That could be with a parish. Um, it's just kind of wait and see. Um, there's luckily he gave the board a uh, 18 month window to find his replacement and they were very grateful. So take a look at that story um, at the record as well. 
And that is up and down the shore. Um, and we, we're kind of building up to this featured feature, which we're really excited about. Really great piece. And, and I urge you to check it out no matter how long Marty talks here, um, because it's a it's it's well done and, and you get to see um, some real spirit and some real um, emotion. And who doesn't love the the Olympics? So uh, without further ado, we have a we have a local Olympian competing this week. Well, I'm sorry, hopeful Olympian competing this week for her shot. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to get back to the, uh, the featured featured part of the podcast. It's been a moment since I had a chance to expand on this segment. So really excited and a great story. As you mentioned, Joe, a, uh, a Nutra High School alumna and Northfield native Grace Joyce is competing this week in the Olympic rowing trial. So she's one of the best rowers in the United States, and she's competing this week to um, try and solidify a spot at the Tokyo Games this summer. So um, Really, really interesting story because as uh, I'm sure many of our listeners know, the Olympics were first scheduled to take place in the summer of 2020. So this previous summer, but obviously because of the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, those games were postponed until 2021. So that postponement actually gave Grace Joyce uh, a chance at this summer game. Um, Grace is a 2020 graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So um, with everything that goes along with graduation and, and preparing for the next step, she was sort of envisioning her first chance at the Olympics was always going to be the Paris games in 2024. But because of that postponement, as I mentioned, it created the opportunity for Grace to have a shot at the 2021 games. So she is definitely seizing the opportunity and doing her best to take advantage of that. And um, I think as of recording this podcast, she's, uh, she's right near the top of the leaderboard, right near the chance to qualify um, and earn the, the top spot and move forward to Lucerne, Switzerland, which, is, which would be the, um, the final step in the qualification process. So we'll continue to update you and, and see how this plays out. It's, it's slated to end um, this Friday, so the end of this week, and hopefully we'll have an update. But um, we'll, know inf- we'll know more information on her status as the, as the trials come to a close at the end of this week. But I had a chance to, to catch up with her and interviewed her, and she just walked us through um, so eloquently what the training process has been like and uh, how that process has been effective, affected because of the pandemic. She's been uh, living inside a pandemic-related bubble um, since the, this past summer. So she's uh, sort of been living with uh, a couple dozen Olympic hopefuls um, for the past six or seven months. And uh, every single day has been training, uh, you know, uh, multiple hours a day, multiple training sessions a day uh, because of COVID-19 restrictions. She was not able to even leave the bu- bubble and come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Um, she can't even go to the grocery store to pick up groceries. She, she can't go to a restaurant, can't, can't interact with anyone outside of that bubble. So um, in addition to all the stresses and challenges that go with training for Olympics, there's even more um, challenges because of the pandemic. So really, uh, really insightful story of what training for a shot at the Olympics during a global pandemic is like. Yeah, really cool stuff. And uh, you know, I hope you guys too, but I, I love, um, you know, local Olympic hopefuls, local Olympians. Uh, I think it just brings so much pride and joy to the community and follow along and um, you can check it out too. You know, I just search, uh, you know, uh, Olympic trial rowing and um, she's in the finals tomorrow. Um, she finished second with her partner, um, her rowing partner in the lightweight skulls. I think they finished second in the uh, semi. So big race tomorrow morning um, and we'll, we'll follow up and 
and Marty will be on it. He's already told me to back off. So <laughs> I'm just watching. I'm just watching. I love that. It's great coverage. So stay tuned for it. And that's just one of the things ahead. So that's it for our show this week. Um, thank you guys for listening so much to the record North shore. Um, you can find all those stories more at the record We are a community first nonprofit news outlet. We do all this work for you. Um, we'll continue to do it, whether you donate or subscribe. Um, it's important. This is a public good and uh, we're going to serve it. Um, so, um, but if you can, if, if you have the means and would like to support our efforts and believe in responsible local news, please check it out and uh, give what you can. But um, looking before ahead. We, before we leave, Joe's got to tell you about a local dog who's uh, doing some crazy things. If Marty's on the historic homes and the Olympic beat. I'm on the, um, I'm on the pet beat. Um, and, um, love doing these stories about fun animals in the community. And we have a, a tree climbing dog, believe it or not in Glencoe. And I'm going to get that story up hopefully tomorrow. So, um, you might actually be listening to this. It might already be up, but check it out. The reckonorthshore.org. We got a tree climbing dog. I'll give you the whole scoop on moose. And, uh, also we're going to have another story this week on Winneka restaurants. We actually teased this a while ago and it got a little more complicated. So we had to hold off and make sure we had our ducks in a row here. But um, the, the the corner of Lincoln and Elm is turning over into two new restaurants from two old favorites, old stands in Winneka. And we got the story on why, how, and when um, for you. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit involved, but it's a good one for a local story. And and uh, you'll get the full scoop um, this, uh, this week in a few days. So check that out um, this week as well. And that's it. That's our show. Thank you guys again uh, for tuning in. And uh, we're, uh, we're going to get back to work. Thanks for listening, everyone.